We're talking about more in 24. Now, some of you heard that and thought, oh, Lord, I don't need any more. Do you know what my 23 look like? Do you know what happened in 23? Listen, we're talking about more, God's more in 24. I will say this, as I was uh, thinking about this and pondering on this, I thought, leave it be in 23. Whatever happened in 23, let it be. Let it go. Just let it happen. Whatever it happened, let it go. Right? Let it go. Let it be in 23. 24 is a new year. I believe it's uh, going to be an interesting year. They're all interesting, but 24 has some pretty unique significance to it, and you're going to see. In order to tell this story, I need to do it backwards. So I'm going to tell you some good stuff. We're going to go through the bad stuff, and then we're going to get to some really good stuff. Does that make sense? Kind of like uh, if you're a Star Wars fan, right? You know, they told the end from the beginning or beginning from the end or however that was. You know, it was reversed. We didn't realize it was happening that way until they started making more of them. We were like, oh, wait a minute. This is being told in reverse here. So we're in a new year. We're in... Two new years, if you will. In the Hebrew, we're in year 5724. And the meaning of 24 in the Hebrew means open doors. Open doors. That's going to be significant to us. The year 2024, according to the Bible, numbers, uh, the number 24 is a symbol of priesthood. It means that this number is closely connected with heaven and with God. The number 24 is associated with the priesthood since it is composed of multiples of 12. It takes on some of 12's meanings, which is God's power and authority as well as as symbolizing a perfect foundation except in a higher form. It is also connected with the worship of God, especially at Jerusalem's temple. Worship will be a key to this year. Let me say it again. Worship will be a key to this year. As we know, the number 12 is a perfect number representing God's power and authority. The number 24, therefore, is even a stronger demonstration of God's strength. You didn't hear me. 12 is God's power and His authority. 24 is twice that. But if you understand kingdom math, there is multiplication, but there's also exponential. It's the idea of you have a natural and God puts his super on it and you have a supernatural. Some of you are coming along. The number 24 written in Hebrew is kaf delet, the letter kaf and the letter delet. It spells out the word cad, which in the English is a pitcher. Not a pitcher, but a pitcher. God's getting ready to pour some things out. The pitcher's getting full, and he's fixing to pour some things out in 24. There's a wind blowing, there's a stirring in the spirit. So to tell this story, we're going to go to the story of Hezekiah and the nation of Judah. Now there are, this story is told in Isaiah and 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles. There are two nations, and we got to understand this too, that when you're reading the scripture and you hear about this king of Israel, and then you see another king mentioned as a king of Israel, and you go, does Israel have two kings? No, there was, yes they did, but there were two kingdoms. There was a northern kingdom. And the capital of that was Samaria. And there was a southern kingdom. And the capital of that was Jerusalem. At this particular time, um, Hosea, 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 yes, I'll say it in a minute. Hosea was the king of the north. Hezekiah was the king of the south. Okay? So what happened was, this Hosea was not a particularly good king. Even though he was the king of Israel, he was known for two things. 
Mm-hmm. One, he wasn't as bad as the kings before him. And he was the last king before Assyria invaded and took over. How would you like to be known as your two greatest accomplishments? You wasn't as bad as the other guys. <laughs> and you was the last king before your country was defeated by the enemy. He wasn't a very good king. Hosea did some things too that was not really good. <laughs> Number one, he allowed uh, pagan worship of many gods. He took Israel away from God being the one true king and allowed a lot of pagan worship to go on. He let a lot of things happen in his kingdom. To understand, this was not democracy. This was not a republic. This was a dictatorship. He was the king. What he said was law. He could have stopped it, but he didn't. He let it happen. Another thing that he did is he was paying uh, ransom, if you will, protection money to some other nations, to the Assyrians. And he stopped that and he turned to Egypt and he said, we want to cut covenant with you, basically. We want you to help us. Now, if you think that that sounds strange, here's a king who his people were enslaved by this nation of Egypt just a century ago or so, right? And yet he's turning back to Egypt saying, will you help us? Egypt is a top and shadow of the world. So here is a king that's supposed to be serving the Most High. He's turning away from his God and he's turning to the world and looking for help. So he does this. Even though he was given some counsel, some warning, don't do this. This is a bad move for you. He reckoned he would do it anyway. Then we sing King Hezekiah, and he was a good king. He loved the Lord. He tore down the pagan worship idols, he, the shrines. He got rid of all that stuff, and he declared Jehovah. He declared Yahweh to be the only one and true God who the people should worship. He was a good king. He sought godly counsel. Now understand, in that day, they didn't have the Bible, per se, as we do. So that's why we see the prophets on the scene a lot, and these kings would go to them. The prophet that he went to most was Isaiah. Isaiah, what is the Lord saying? That became, if you will, Hezekiah and the people's word. The Lord spoke through Isaiah, and Isaiah gave the king the word. So he sought after God. Hezekiah turned to God, and Hosea turned to Egypt. When I say the same kingdom, I'm saying the part of the same body, if you will. A northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. I, I just got to tell you this. When I was reading this, I was like, yes, the southern kingdom. The good old redneck boys. Yeah. <laughs> the south will rise again. Hallelujah. But I was like, yeah, them good old southern boys. That's nothing against our Yankee brethren. I won't look at anybody in here. We're turning them, people, I'm telling you. I've heard these people that I'm referencing say, y'all, um, fixing. We're converting them, I'm telling you. They're losing all of their heathen northern ways. We're coming around. Hallelujah. I want to read to you to set the stage of what's happening out of the Message Bible. It's not on our, on our board today. It's long. It's lengthy. I want you just to hear what's going on. In the 14th year of King Hezekiah, this is in 2 Kings chapter 18. In the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, attacked all outlying fortress cities of Judah and captured them. King Hezekiah sent a message to the king of Assyria at his headquarters in Lashish. I've done wrong. I admit it. Pull back your army. I'll pay whatever tribute you set. So the Assyrian army is attacking. Now, they have gone to the northern kingdom and they've already captured it. They went to Hosea and they, it took them three years, but they besieged it 
And they kept on pounding, and they finally conquered the northern country. Now they're coming south. They set their eyes on Judah. So here they come. The king of Assyria demanded tribute from Hezekiah, king of Judah, 11 tons of silver and a ton of gold. Today's money, 11 tons of silver is $7.6 million. A ton of gold is $67 million. That's a ransom. Look where Hezekiah had to get it. Hezekiah turned over all the silver he could find in the temple of God and in the palace treasuries. Hezekiah even took down the doors of the temple of God and the doorposts he had overlaid with gold and gave them to the king of Assyria. You say, how's that important? See, at that time, that money that was in the temple, if you will, that was extravagant in its build was their power. It was their authority. It was their prestige, if you will. When people came in, they were like, whoa, look at this place. That's how they let people know we're prosperous because the king that we serve, the God that we serve, takes care of us. Some of you have been going into your temple to get gold and silver to pay ransoms. So the king of Assyria sent his top three military chiefs, the Tartan, the Rebzaris and the Rebshecheth, with a strong military force to King Hezekiah in Jerusalem. When they arrived in Jerusalem, they stopped at the uh, aqueduct to the upper pool on the road to the laundry commons. They called loudly for the king. Ilikum, son of Hilak, who was in charge of the palace, Shebna, the royal secretary, and Joah, son of Asaph, the court historian, went out to meet them. The third officer was spokesman. He said, tell Hezekiah a message from the great king, the king of Assyria. You're living in a world of make-believe. You of pious fantasy. Do you think that mere words are any substitute for military strategy and troops? In other words, they're saying, hey, listen. We've already proved to the world that there's no force that can reckon with us. And you're living in a make-believe world, son. You might as well believe in Santa Claus, a fairy tooth, everything else, right? Ain't no kids in here, I hope. This pious stuff that you're doing, it's no match for the military strength of our king. Do you think that mere words are any substitute for military strategy and troop? Do you really think that there's power in your tongue? Do you hear what the enemy's saying? Challenging all things godly. Now that you've revolted against me, who can you expect to help you? You thought Egypt would, but Egypt's nothing but a paper tiger. One puff of wind and she collapses. Pharaoh, king of Egypt, is nothing but bluff and blunder. Are you going to tell me we rely on God? But Hezekiah has just eliminated most of the people's access to God by getting rid of all the local God shrines. Ordering everyone in Judah and Jerusalem, you must worship at the Jerusalem altar only. Dude, you've gotten rid of everybody's hope. You've gotten rid of all the shrines, the pagan worships. You've done all this stuff. And then you want to be so bold as to come out and be like, hey, you only can worship this God, and we're fixing to wipe you out. You've been lying to your people. So be reasonable. Make a deal with my master, the king of Assyria. I'll give you 2,000 horses if you think you can provide riders for them. You can't do it? Well, then how do you think you're going to turn back even one raw buck private from my master's troops? I'll give you 2,000 horses and chariots if you can fill them and you can come out. But how are you even going to defend? You can't even do that. One of my lowly buck privates is, is not a match for you. He's going to wipe you guys. It's crazy. How long are you going to hold on to that figment of your imagination? These hopes 
for Egyptian chariots and horses. Do you think I've come up here to destroy this country without the express approval of God? The fact is that God expressly ordered me attack and destroy this country. Now, if you're not careful, you'll hear that and you'll say, well, God's God. We're going to see how this all changes. So here's the setting. The king of Assyria, Sennacherib, has sent his messengers out, if you will, and they're proclaiming to Judah and to King Hezekiah, we're fixing to wipe you out if you don't bow down and worship us right now. Now remember, Hezekiah has already sent money to Assyria to pay for them not to attack. And it goes on. I don't have a, whole t- a lot of time to explain this whole story. Like I said, you can read about it in 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles and even in Isaiah. Isaiah 39 and Isaiah 40, there's a gap in there where 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles fills in the gap for you. But we see this happening, and I believe this is representative of where America is right now, where the world is, if you will, that we have so turned towards the world to fix our problems that we're in trouble. And the world mocks us. The world brings fear into our lives. Here's Sennacherib's Ministers, if you will, are telling them, you guys better prepare to die because we've done wiped out the country. As a matter of fact, if you flip on the world news, it's going to have in the bottom right-hand corner a counter of the body count. You ever seen anything like that in your life? How many people died today? Fear. What you've got to understand is anytime you see fear show its face, it does not come from God's camp. Fear is a tactic from the enemy. And the only power it has is the power you give it when you shake hands with it, when you agree with it. Hosea thought he would do himself and his people justice and just embrace it. And it cost him, we think, his life. Now the Bible's not real clear on that. But we do know that he was captured and put in prison. Let me just say this. Sennacherib was a very violent man. As a matter of fact, if you trace it back to give you, to bring forward into today's understanding, his people would be called ISIS or Hamas. They're ruthless. Sennacherib used fear as his tactic. Can I tell you this? Hitler studied Sennacherib and the Assyrian army. Sennacherib was about getting rid of the Jews. As a matter of fact, it is reported that, let me just get to it here. He was the most vicious kingdom on the earth. This was about 700 B.C. He created the catapult. He created towers that would be pulled up by horses and oxen to the edge of a city close. They would pull the tower up and had staircases inside so the soldiers from the routeway would jump on the wall and come in and take the city. He had all these tactics. He had another one called the impaling pole, which were large poles, if you will, that were sunk into the ground, and they were sharpened to a point at the top. And they would put people above them, the people that they had captured. They would suspend them over these impaling poles. Some of the strong men could last about three or four days, but your weight and your strength would give way, and you would begin to sink down, and you would be impaled on this pole, and your body would be hung and suspended in midair. And he did this. It says that some of these impaling poles were so many of them, literally hundreds of thousands of them, that some people began to call this one place where these poles were the Black Forest because of all the decaying bodies on these poles. What was it for? To make you say, hey, do I want to go against this guy? Look what he did to, look what he did to these people. Oh, my goodness. Sometimes he would skin people alive and nail their skin onto houses and doorways and stuff so the people would see. He was ruthless. 
I know you don't want to hear about that, but you need to hear about it. Because your enemy is ruthless. He doesn't care about you. He doesn't care about your family. He doesn't care about your children. He doesn't care about your grandmama, your grandpa. He don't care about nobody. He is hell-bent on seeing you defeated. He will do everything he can to get you to turn to Egypt. He conquered most of the world. And when he came to Israel, he had conquered the northern part. And he set his sights on Jerusalem in the southern kingdom. He set 250,000 troops to lay siege to Judah. King Hezekiah knew the story. He knew about what was coming. I'm going to tell you this. They didn't have the internet back in the day. But I guarantee you news traveled pretty quick. Pretty quick. Of what was coming. I don't have time to go into all of the things that happened, but in Judah they had dug some tunnels so they were able to get some spies in and out of the country. So this siege is laying um, for almost three years again at the feet of Hezekiah. So they begin to encamp around them. They begin to restrict um, their supply of food and things like that that was coming in. That's how you you battled back in the day. To this day we still do it. We just do it a little bit more technologically advanced. So they were doing this. Hezekiah knew that no army in the world had been able to stop this invading force. He was a little concerned. It's interesting that Sennacherib had trained what the Bible says is eagles for warfare. Now, don't be mad at the messenger, okay? I know a lot of you think about eagles and you think about the majestic bald eagle soaring high right? but that's probably not what this was <laughs> it was probably one of two things it was a Himalayan eagle or it was a giffen vulture now the giffen vulture is what I believe it probably was is actually considered to be a bird of prey it's not just a vulture like you would think Like we see these white-tipped or red-headed vultures, and they just eat nasty things. Yes, these vultures did eat nasty things. But they were massive. Their wingspan was almost 10 feet long. They were massive birds. It has been recorded that the griffin eagle, the griffin vulture, is the highest flying bird in the world. One smacked the plane at 37,000 feet. That's way up there, boys. Most of you duck hunters know what I mean when I say 37,000 feet. Because you're down there on public land and people are blasting birds that are 37,000 feet in the air, right? And the duck hunters are going, oh. Why is this important? Sennacherib had trained 7,000 of these vultures, if you will, these eagles. And he brought 700 of them to Jerusalem. The Assyrian king trained these eagles for warfare. What they would do is they would look for an enemy. They would ascend on the enemy at speeds of 60 miles an hour. Excuse me. Josephus says that upwards of 2,000 people in Israel had been killed by war eagles. You say, what would they do? They were trained to carry basically like a lead ball, if you will. And they would pick out the enemy. They were trained to find the enemy. They would swoop down on the enemy at speeds of 60 miles an hour. Imagine a bird that's got 10-foot wingspans. And you've got to realize that these birds aren't like the little sparrows that you see outside your window. They're going flitter, 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 flitter. They're like, whoosh. My wife and I were in uh, <coughs> San Diego, and we went to SeaWorld, and we went to one of these birds of prey show. And um, I'm a... Big strapping marine, 185 pounds, I can bench press the world, all that kind of stuff, you know. And we're sitting in the back of this auditorium, way, the people are way down there. Like we, we were getting nosebleeds from being up there so high. And this lady come out, she tapped me on the shoulder, she said, would you help us, sir? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, sure, what? She's like, well, I'm going to ask you to put this glove on. And she pulled out this long leather glove that went all the way up to my shoulder and she said, now here's what's going to happen. I'm going to put a little meat here on your hand. And in just a minute, one of her guys are going to come out. He's going to have a golden eagle. And he's going to push that eagle off. He's going to fly up here, land on your arm. He's going to eat this meat. When I tell you, just give him a little bump. He's going to fly down. You know how you, you can hear her saying her little spiel, right? And I'm like, sure. 
So I put this glove on, and she puts this meat in my hand. She's all right, sir, if you'll just hold your arm out, it's all right. And this guy comes out. This is the North American Golden Eagle. Blah, blah. He gives this little spiel. Well, where I'm standing and I'm looking, this eagle's only about that big. <laughs> so he says, they sport a wingspan of six and a half feet, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, go away, like that. And this thing went, Phew. and I said, what have I got myself into? And all of a sudden, this thing's flying. I mean, one flap of his wings is all he needed to cruise right up to where I was. And as he got to me, he throws his belly up on those talons, went, and he grabbed my arm. And I was like, okay. I mean, his talons wrapped all the way around my arm. And I'm struggling to hold this bird. I hope they don't know I'm a Marine. I'm shaking. So finally she said, okay, sir, you can give me. So I just gave him a little bump, and he went, Phew, and just went right back down to that guy. Impressive. These birds have wingspans of 10 feet, four more feet. I know they don't sound like a lot, but they're huge. But they would carry these balls. They would swoop down. They would find the enemy, and just as they got to them, they would let those balls go, and they would aim for their head. In some historical reports, it says some of them were decapitated people. By a ball in this eagle's talons. They were trained for war. It says it got so bad that the people would go outside and a duck or something would fly over and they would, because of the shadow, that's how crazy it was. Remember, 700 of these eagles were trained and were brought to Jerusalem. That's what they're seeing them take place. These balls, if you will, were about the size of a golf ball. <clears throat> the other thing that would happen, this is very interesting. A soldier would have a leather cord wrapped around his wrist. And he would tie the other end of that to this eagle. So he'd have a, not a really long cord. I don't know exactly how long it was. It wasn't like 40 feet or anything like that. The soldier would have this eagle and he would have this cord wrapped around his arm and he would hold the eagle and when he was ready, he would take off running and he would lift that eagle in flight and the eagle would take off. Now the eagle couldn't pick the man up because of his weight, but what's important is at about 20 to 30 miles an hour, the soldier could hang on to this eagle and he could stride 40 to 50 feet, one stride, because the eagle's carrying him. Can you imagine looking out your house and seeing an army coming down the road and they've got eagles that are carrying them and they're taking 40 to 50 foot leaps. They're not having to do much work because the eagle's doing it all for them. But they're tethered to this eagle. These people saw all this going on. And Hezekiah's people began to say, there's no hope for us. How could we possibly defend ourselves against this Sennacherib? He's impaling people. He's got catapults. He's trying to bust down our walls. All of this stuff going on. Look what he did to the northern kingdom. Blah, 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 blah. Words out of my mouth. Fear. I'm concerned. It's going to be bad. But you don't know what happened to my mom, my dad. Do you understand my generation? Is <laughs> they lost hope. So here's Hezekiah. So he sends a message to Isaiah and says, come here, come here, Isaiah. So Isaiah comes in and he says, do you have a word for us, Isaiah? You see the stuff that's going on. The king's there. Isaiah, do you have a word for us? Do you have a word from us? Here's what Isaiah says. This is where it gets good. Isaiah says this. You've probably heard this. He says, yes, here's the word I have for you. No weapon formed against you will prosper. You didn't hear me? I've lost hope, God. How could I possibly defeat cancer? 
How possibly could I defeat what's in my life right now? See, we say these things, but they're just words in our mouth. Oh, Isaiah is prophesying the word of God. No weapon formed against you will prosper. And I'm going to tell you how that happens in just a second. Isaiah, excuse me. He asked again, Hezekiah, Isaiah, what about these eagles? What are we going to do? I mean, they're besieging the city, all this stuff's going on, but they've got these eagles. What are we going to do, Isaiah? Do you have a word? And Isaiah says this, They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They will mount up with wings as eagles. They will run and not be weary. The word wait in the Hebrew is braid. See, God will take the tactics of your enemy and show you how to defeat him. These soldiers were braiding themselves to the eagles and letting the eagles do the work. And God said, those who wait on me, those who will braid themselves to me, I will lift them up under my power of my wings. And you will run and you will not be weary because I'm going to do all the work. I'm going to take you 40 and 50, even greater distances by every stride if you will braid yourself to me. Those who wait upon the Lord. So now you know Why the Lord in response to Sennacherib's war eagle says to Hezekiah, those who braid themselves will run and not be weary. You can soar. I will take you up higher. When it says I will bear you up on eagle's wings, what he means by that is I'm going to take you to a higher place. Remember, 37,000 feet. You can see a lot from 37,000 feet. You can get the right perspective. And we've talked about this before. When we're in the season of football and watching all these games and stuff go on. And we're watching a football game from a camera that's perched high. We can see everything that's going on. That's why we get mad when our favorite quarterback doesn't throw the right pass. That guy is thinking out there. There's nobody. 40 yards and he couldn't even see him. (coughs) Because his perspective was wrong. See, when you're in the middle of the trenches, when you're down there and you're in the huddle and you're saying, yeah, ready to go, and they snap you the ball, you've got all of this stuff in front of you moving around. You've got big guys that are crashing into each other, that are trying to get to you. You don't have the perspective of being able to look at one of those cameras and go, oh, my guy's way down there. But God says, I will bear you up. I'm going to take you to a perspective so you can see the big picture. And you can go, oh. Wait a minute, 37,000 feet, that gives me a little bit different perspective here. The vigorous young men get tired and grow weary, but those who tie themselves to me will soar. Can I say this? God is looking, I believe, 2024, there are going to be open doors. You will have to decide if you're going to go through them. God will not push you. God's not going to trick you. But he will show you that door is open for you. God may even shut some doors. But I hear hear 24 is the year of open doors. He wants you to walk through them. Let me just say this. There were two prophetic words that came. uh, Actually, one. It was extenuating or an extended word, if you will. And I believe it's going to wrap all this up, and you're going to see. But the people who will find these open doors and who will go through them are going to be the ones who will declare and decide to tie themselves to the Lord. They will wait upon the Lord. They will take a cord and bind themselves to Him. Let me tell you something. It's not about your job It's not about your corporate office. It's not about your wants, desire. It's not about any of that stuff. It's about who wants to be tied to the Lord. God's going to do some separating 
in these years, just like the northern and the southern kingdom. I was talking to a good friend, and I was asking him, hey, what are you seeing for 24? And he said, what the Lord put on my heart was trans-Christians. And I said, wow. People who identify as Christians, but their DNA isn't. I'm not trying to be mean this morning or anything like that. But you can say, I'm a boy, a girl, cock-eyed squirrel, all you want. But what matters is what's in you. Your DNA. Your DNA. Remember, we talked about the seed war. What's this about? Changing your DNA. So that you don't look like the father anymore. Trans-Christians. I believe there's going to be a line that's drawn in the sand. I thought, that's pretty good. Pretty good word. We have a lot of people that are saying, oh, well, yeah, I believe in a God. And I believe he's okay with. Not according to the scriptures. And remember, it's not that God hates you. He hates the junk. Because he understands it doesn't fulfill purpose in your life. The purpose that he's given you. There's so many things I want to tell you about Hezekiah and Hosea. A good king and a bad king. The Bible actually declares about Hezekiah, there was no king before him or after him that was like him. And it even compares him to his uh, great or great-great-grandfather, David. Hezekiah was a good man. He He was seeking the Lord. What happened when all this happened? The letters that... Uh, Sennacherib sent. He took them to the prayer chambers and he laid them out before the Lord. He says, Lord, this is what the enemy's saying. What say you? I'd say that's a pretty good practice. Some of you may have some bad reports. Maybe they're financial. Maybe they're medical. I don't know. But maybe you need to lay them out. And just say, okay, Lord, I fought all I can fight. Now I'm just going to worship you. Because you're my king. You're my Lord. You're my Savior. You're my deliverer. God, all these things. You just begin to cry out to him who he is. And you watch those reports. Go away. Because he'll bear you up on the wings of eagles. And he'll give you perspective to see because you've tied yourself to him. They that wait upon the Lord. Sennacherim shows up. Yabba-dabba-doo, yabba-dabba-doo. Yeah, 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 yeah. Isaiah 54, 17, you got that? But in the coming day, no weapon tuned against you will succeed. Listen, this doesn't say you'll never have a weapon formed against you. It says the one that is formed against you, it's not going to be successful. Now you can claim that all day long. And have no revelation of what we just talked about. Well, no weapon formed against me will prosper, brother. Are you tied to the Lord? Well, you see, um, maybe. You may not know this, but there are a lot of promises in the Bible that have conditions to them. If you, then I. If you will, then I will. The Lord already knows what he's going to do. What are you going to do? Because see, if you really believed it, you would tie yourself to him. You will silence every voice raised up in, to accuse you. What is Sennacherib's? How are you going to do this, man? You people are puny. You can't even find 2,000 people to ride a horse. And I'm going to give you the horses. David says, you come against me with a spear and a sword, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. I have tied myself to the Most High. He will lift me up. He will bear me up. He's going to make sure my rock flies straight. He's going to bring you down to my level, and I'm going to use your sword. I'm going to cut your head off, and I will feed your flesh to the foul air. You know who probably ate on his flesh? The griffin vultures because they cleaned up the land. See, we see vultures being, all right? 
But they were God's provision to keep the land clean. Taking out the bad stuff. These benefits are enjoyed by the servants of the Lord. The servants of the Lord. Their vindication will come from me. I, the Lord, have spoken. This is Isaiah. He's talking about this same time frame. This same time frame. If you go to Isaiah 39, we see where he has to give up all of his treasures. He talks about it. Because, let me just say this. In Isaiah 39, the kings of Babylon, or or the messengers of Babylon, come to visit Hezekiah because they've heard about his success. And he was sick. Remember, Hezekiah was sick, and he was dying. And the Lord heard him, spoke to him, and said, Hezekiah, I'm going to give you more years to your life. Okay? And so, he is well now, and they come. And Hezekiah, in in his... I don't know what you'd call it. But he begins to show them around. And he begins to show them all the wealth of Judah. He takes them into his treasure houses and he shows them. And Isaiah says, hey, who are those guys? He said, well, they're people from Babylon. Isaiah said, what have you done? Know this. Here's what the Lord says. Your treasure is going to be taken from you. It's going to be carried off by Babylon. Even your sons are going to become eunuchs and serve uh, him. I mean, all these crazy bad things. But the Lord was gracious. The Lord was merciful to Hezekiah. And he kept that city from being overrun. I believe 24 is a year of open doors. I believe it's a year that we're going to see God do some amazing things to those of us who want to tie ourselves to him. But you're going to have to get rid of all fear. You're going to have to get rid of what people think about you. And that can be hard for some of us. Well, but, you know, I'm, I'm kind of known as a tough guy. Well, are you any match for an eagle at 60 miles an hour with a piece of lead in his talon size of a golf ball? I don't think so, Scooter. No offense meant to Scooter. Scooter's my buddy. I want you to think on this for a minute. Because I know this, there are hearts in here right now that are going, I don't even know what you're talking about, dude. Okay, good. But your heart's being stirred. And God said, I want you on my team. I, wanna, I want you to get on my team. There are some of us that have been doing this thing for a long time. And it's time for us to lay down all the stuff and strap on. Get strapped is what they call it, Right? And I'm not talking about physical, right? It's time we get strapped with the Spirit of God. We get strapped with the Word of God. We get strapped with the understanding of how do we fight this fight. We're not battling against flesh and blood. (coughs) Even though we see this in the Scripture, it was flesh and blood at that time, but God was saying, let me show you some spiritual principles. Tie yourself to me and watch what I'll do. I will fight your battles for you. You will become my war eagles. This is the prophetic word that came. It's a little lengthy. This was given to Tim Sheets, who is Dutch Sheets' brother. An incredible spiritual force is being released into the earth realm. My kingdom warriors, my eagle force, will partner with my angel force. They will partner with my seraphim. Let me, let me back up just a little bit here. I didn't tell you the rest of the story. This is where we see this story. 250,000 soldiers surrounding Judah. The word comes to Hezekiah. I'll take care of this, Hezekiah. You've been a faithful king. You've served me. Stand by and watch what I'll do. Hezekiah and the nation of Judah go to sleep one night, as well as Sennacherib and all of his soldiers. And they wake up that next morning. There's 185 dead Assyrians who killed them. An angel of the Lord. You know how bad your angels are? Take out 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. 
in one evening. You talk about slashing and stacking. And Shennacherib tucked his tail and went back home. They will partner with my seraphim. From the Hebrew study, most rabbis believe it was the seraphim that came down and fought this fight. Now, I'm not going to argue with you whether it was seraphim, cherubim, or just an angel, whatever. It was an angel of the Lord. We know that. Came down and whacked them. They will be led by Lord Sabbath. My war eagles will ride the waves of my glory, the currents of my wind, the rays of my presence. Can I tell you this? Where eagles and vultures do the best is in the midst of a storm. Because when the air is stagnant and it's still, they have to exert great energy to get up to the heights that they need to be able to cruise. But what these eagles do, what these vultures do, is when they see a storm approaching, when everything else goes and hides, they run to it. Because they use the negative flow of air to lift them and to get up high. And they can just soar. They can stay for long periods of time because they don't have to do this. Some of you keep saying, Lord, I'm trying, I'm so trying, I'm so trying. And he's like, I know, stop. You're wearing yourself, you're wearing me out. They will manifest the works of my kingdom. Thank you, God. Demonstrating my power and accomplishing my will. Know that the coming generation of war eagles have been groomed and reserved to overcome hell's siege on earth. They will now be loosed. Can I say this? In 2024, Jubilee will endeavor to disciple you like never before. And what I mean by that is these people who want to tie themselves will be willing to forsake some things of the world, namely time and energies. Things that you have given yourself to, it's a good thing. Listen, good things will keep you from doing great things. Like I said, there's nothing wrong with recreating. There's nothing wrong with taking vacations and things like that. I believe God ordains it. There are times when we rest. Jesus went into the wood. He he rested. I get that. But most of us, what we do is a little beyond rest. It's going to look a little different in 2024. Those who want to be tied, who want to be called his war eagles. This kingdom force will braid themselves to me, and I will mount up carrying them. We will soar. They will run with me at speeds the enemy can't match, leaping barriers and walls, breaking demonic blockades to pieces. They will shatter the gates of hell using their spiritual weapons to battle vicious, cruel regimes, bringing deliverance to the tortured captives. They will tear down the altars of Baal. They will not surrender in fear even when surrounded. Overwhelming odds will not rattle them. They will not relent to new weapons or tactics of war. These things will only strengthen their resolve. I'm reminded of a story of Chesty Puller, great Marine Corps um, tactician, if you will, officer, came up through the ranks. And I believe it was at uh, the Chosen Reservoir. They're fighting ferociously, and they get surrounded. And news comes to Chesty Puller. Hey, they've surrounded us, surrounded us. And he says, that makes things simpler. See, we'd say, we're surrounded. He said, it's easy now. They're all around us. Yeah. Start shooting, boys. Perspective. What will your language be in 24? I've been surrounded, or I'm surrounded. And then we see the scripture that says, God, you surround me. Who should I fear? Lastly, my eagles will fly with my weight of glory tied to them. They will circle, dive, and devastate the thrones of hell. Demonic adversaries of my kingdom will be my prey. My unique eagle force will be terrifying splendor, terrorizing hell's regimes. 
They will run and not grow weary, walk and not faint. My spirit will renew and re-strengthen them, re-oxygenating them in my presence. They will mount up with wings as eagles, and no weapon formed against them will prosper. This is the heritage of my sons and daughters, says the Lord. Yes, the war is fierce, but a reset is coming. 2024 is a reset year. Open doors, more power and authority, all those things, if you would decide to tie yourself to him. Come on, Alex. I know it seems heavy. We want to come in and be like, man, 24 is going to be awesome, and it's going to be prosperity. We're going to be happy. And, and we can be. I believe all those things are in store. But it will be because we decided to tie ourselves to the Lord. Well, but you see, I'm, I'm real busy. I really don't have time for certain things, really. You know what the world says? And they're right. You'll make time for what matters. See, if I, if I make that from a spiritual application, you'll go, oh, yeah, but you're just a preacher. It's true. We do the things that we want to do. Well, I've done a few things I didn't want to do. Yeah, a few. Like come to church on an off night. Whew, come on, man. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to be pointing a finger and, ah, you're bad. No, I'm saying, listen, we have to make a mind change. We have to set our minds and say, listen, I believe this. You are a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ wherever you are. If you are a teacher, if you are a tactician, if you're a CPA, whatever you are, you are a minister of God's gospel. Do you know that there are corporations who look for people in the prophetic and they hire them to come to speak to their corporate teams because they know and they've tapped into something saying man God can speak to us I have a friend who operates in that kind of prophetic unction and as a matter of fact he has an interview with a corporate office in a state down the road about that very thing. You should walk into wherever you work and whatever you do with this understanding. This company is blessed because I'm here. That sounds arrogant. You wouldn't probably walk in and tell your boss that. But if you knew what he knew, everywhere your foot treads is holy ground. Why? Because the Spirit of God resides in me. Some of you have had those prophetic utterances and you've been afraid to use them for fear of your job. God's saying, you're going to step out, you're going to tie yourself to me. What if it does cost you your job? Am I not your sustainer? He's asking hard questions. I'm not telling you this to say, see, you're a pastor. I'm telling you this to say, sometimes we go, oh, I've had some really good jobs. Matter of fact, probably should be retired three times. Working for the government, just mind your P's and Q's, do your own thing, right? Unless you kill somebody and they see you, they can't fire you, right? God said, hey, I need you to go over here. Okay. And my wife, bless her heart, are you serious? Yeah. Okay. See, we adjust our life according to how well things are going. 
and we've talked about this before. Well, I've got this new job, and it's going to pay more, and it's going to give me insurance, and give me all these things. And three years down the road, you're going, I don't know why I'm in this job. Because you didn't listen to the Lord. It wasn't about $150,000 a year. Yeah, but the job I was making was forty, And you were happier. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that the Lord doesn't want you to be prosperous. I'm not saying that. There's some of us that we need to be in that 150. There are people, listen, I believe in 2024, God's going to speak prophetically either through you or to you about things that he has for you to increase your income. Jobs. Things that you never thought would be possible. And God's going to speak to you and you're going to think, this is crazy. He's going to say, will you tie yourself to me? Because if you do it in your own strength, you're going to fail. But if you tie yourself to me, I'm going to make these leaps. Just go. You're going you're to be going down 64 Highway, and you're going to find yourself in Alma. And you're going to be, how did I get here? I'm telling you, when I used to travel to Northwest Arkansas all the time, there would be days I would leave Northwest Arkansas. I'd be in Springdale traffic. And then I would get to the other side of the tunnel. I'd say, whoa, where did, where did 30 minutes just go? I know it's happened to all y'all, right? Something magical up there, man. <laughs> just go away for a minute. Or be traveling up through there and don't even, you know, I'll be at Greenland and I go, when did I go through the tunnel? I don't remember it. How do you not remember going through a tunnel? God's speed. Listen, we think that it's crazy that Philip would be translated. God's going to translate some of you. 2024 is going to be such an awesome year for those who would give themselves to it. Stand with me. Really quick, if you're in this place today and you have not accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, or maybe you feel like you have, but you just don't have that assurance, you just don't have that, ha, ah, man, I've been struggling with this. If that's you, quickly, I want you to move out of your seat. I want you to come up here. We want to pray for you. That's it. We're not going to ask long. If that's you, move. Come on. Get tied to him. That's you. I feel somebody's talons squeezing into that seat. If that's you, let go. Let go and let God. Three, two, one. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, ma'am. Anybody else? Miss Sharon, will you come? Anybody else? Hallelujah. All right, here's the other thing. Maybe you're in here today and you're going, whew, okay, I got to make some decisions. I got to make some decisions. And you want to be tied to God. You want to be part of this war eagle army. That you will, your only response to him is yes. I need someone to go, yes. Here we go. Yes. If that's you, I want you to come down too. We're going to pray over you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm going to be very bold in what I'm fixing to say. Okay? Don't you take this as condemnation. But you take it for what it's meant. Men. We have relied on our wives to carry a spiritual load. I'm just going to say it this way. We've got a few men up here. Men, I want to challenge you to step out of your comfort zone. Don't tell me what a mighty army, what a mighty warrior you are, how you can shoot people at long distances, how you can stick a knife, how you can leap over a wall, and you're afraid of what the Lord's fixing to do in your life. Don't tell me that. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm trying to shake you and wake you. I'm trying to get you in a position to say this. If you'll right now step out of where you are and say, okay, God, I surrender. And you'll come forward. God wants to break something off of you right now. He's going to take the man idea of what a warrior looks like and replace it with what God's idea of a warrior looks like. 
a man like David who goes out and is willing to get on his hands and knees and watch a bunch of sheep. But when something comes to attack his sheep, he says, you won't do this. You're not going to take one of these little ones from my father's flock. And he grabs it up by the beard, punches it in the mouth, takes a club and clubs it. That's a warrior. Someone who says, who is this Philistine? Who is this uncircumcised, no covenant person that's talking about my God? Who does he think he is standing against Israel? If that's you, come on. Come on. Let me just say this. And I'm, again, don't take this condescending. Don't take this as a smack on you or anything like that. Men, it's time for us to stand up. It's time for us to say enough. Do you know why some of the problems that are going on in our families, some of the turmoil and the disruptive junk that's going on in our families is because, men, we won't stand up and say enough. If I put my hands around one of your child's necks and begin to choke the life out of him, we would cease being friends at some point. You would use any means necessary to get me off of your son or your daughter. If you didn't, I would challenge your ability to be a father. It's time we wake up. It's time we say enough is enough. I'm not going to put up with this junk in my family anymore. I'm going to hit my knees. I'm going to throw my hands up in the air. And I'm going to declare, Lord, in 24, you're opening doors for me. God, I'm going to see more of your presence in my life like never before. Because today, I choose to tie myself to you. I choose to lay down my quote-unquote manhood. And I pick up your manhood what you've designed me to be. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, we give you all of us. God, we know there's areas in our life that are so far removed from you and we say in our minds, Lord, how could you possibly take us back? But God, in your goodness and in your mercy, you've received us. Just as you received David, as he fell and cried out to you, God, have mercy on me. You are having mercy on us. God, as we purpose today to tie ourselves to you, Father, as we purpose to take a strap and wrap it around our wrist and wrap the other end around your eagle's feet that will lift us and ascend us into a high place, Lord, that we'll run and not be weary. Father, I pray that right now in the name of Jesus, that those fathers, those dads, these men who have been running, <coughs> Lord, they would find rest in you. They would run and not be weary. They would walk and not faint. Father, we take up in this right now your word that declares no weapon formed against us shall prosper. No more is it just words in our lips. <coughs> but we see it for what it is. Your provision your direction, your guidance if we stay attached to you. We thank you, Lord, that every voice that would come and bring accusations against us, that we would put it down. We'll not accept the enemy's lies in our ears any longer. And Father, we say yes to becoming your war angels, your war eagles, Lord. Combining, coming together with your angelic host and performing, Lord, your will 
We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that we will be your war eagles, that you will use us mightily for the pulling down of strongholds. Not only in our lives and our families' lives, but those who we have influence in around us, Lord. To be able to speak into them, Lord. We thank you for that right now. Father, we know that we soar the best in that negative wind current. <laughs> As the enemy blows hard and begins to express with their voice, we'll take the wind off of their voice. Let it hit our wings and it'll cause us to cruise way above way above that you'll carry us up thank you Lord thank you Lord Father we pray that today every person would be marked in the name of Jesus that there would be a mark on this day December 31st 2023 we let go of what happened in 23 we let it be and we take hold of 24 more in 24 Lord, more of you, more of your spirit. Father, more of your mercy and of your grace. Father, more power, more authority in the sense of how we use it, how we step into it. We thank you for it now, Lord. We thank you that year 24, the year of the pitcher, that you're pouring it out. Father, we ask, help us to be in position. Help us to be in a place to be under that flow that's poured out of that pitcher. Thank you, Lord. We know it's going to cost us. We come here with no expectations of receiving this with no given value, if you will. We know it's going to cost us. That's why we're here. We're willing to say, okay, enough is enough. We want to experience it. We want to see it, and we'll pay the cost. We'll pay it. We thank you for it right now, Lord. Sealed on this day, Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah.